Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst, and making her debut, Sarah Shepard of The Coach's Voice. I'll spare you the usual cliches about the magnificent seven, but Liverpool are the only team in England with a 100% record. They're feeding off the emotion of the Champions League. The squad is deep, the fans are loud. Their next two league games will tell us everything. Chelsea first, then City. Tasty, eh? Very tasty, yeah. I can't wait to see these games. Liverpool are not top of the table. By fluke, they deserve it. Um, I'm just so, so impressed by them at the moment. They have improved immeasurably as a team, as a collective this season. So much more depth now, particularly in central midfield. Great tactical options as well for Jurgen Klopp. I think that is maybe the key to, to their improvement this year. He's obviously boosted the numbers with a number of good additions. But now it's not just a, a 4-3-3 that has Firmino up the top, Salah and, and, and Mane either side. Uh, he can mix things up. At the weekend, he had Salah as the number nine. Firmino out on the left. In midfield, he can have any configuration he likes. He's got probably five or six top-class central midfielders. And Shakiri we saw come in, gives him a new tactical option. Um, 4-2-3-1, he played in that number 10 role. So, look, so much to like about Liverpool. They are in a groove. All of the players are on board with Jürgen's philosophy and they look the real deal to me. Mm. Sarah, you work with coaches and managers you know, on a daily basis. What do you think are Klopp's greatest characteristics? Uh, I think it's quite easy to see you know, in interviews that what the face that he presents to journalists, to us, is, is a, a very open, honest, engaging character. Um, and I think you can't overlook that. You know, The man-management side of, side of things often gets talked about in a bit of a cliched way, but it's so important. And like Adrian said, the players have obviously completely bought into his philosophy. Um, he's managing his team so well. I think this season will be interesting to see how he manages that competition for places. Players like Shakiri, who's, you know, perhaps well, we saw him play at the weekend, but he's not going to get mm. that many minutes. Right. And also what happened to him at the weekend, mm. we saw how well he played, but then he has to come off <laughs> at half time, which is, like Klopp said, it was a very hard decision. And how is he going to manage that side of things this season. I think that'll be quite interesting. Absolutely. I think team selection is the one flaw, I would say, in Jurgen Klopp's makeup so far in, in the Premier League. His over-rotation, particularly at the back, was, was, was an issue last season at the start. Um, on, on but this, what, this season, I just to stop you yeah. there, only four changes in six games, three of which were against and Southampton. It, and it helps. It really does. And, and where they have the big advantage, not over City, but, but the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal, is that... They are the the way of playing is so ingrained now in their mind that they, it all comes naturally. Mm. They don't have to think about it. Whereas the guys at Chelsea and Arsenal, even though they're doing okay, there's so much new information to take on board that I think sometimes it takes them one or two seconds extra to think. Right, yes, at this point I'm supposed to be doing this. For Liverpool, they all know exactly what their roles are. Mm. Mm. Are we likely? You know, obviously, we've got the League Cup, which is at this stage of the competition almost almost an irrelevance. Will we see the reserves in midweek against Chelsea and the proper teams, put it that way, on, on Saturday at I think, the bridge? I, I think you'd be surprised 
if Jurgen Klopp doesn't make big changes for the League Cup simply because of the games they've got coming up. You know, he's very aware that his front three are, you know, he's he's going to rely on them a lot this season and this is an opportunity maybe to give Sturridge another another chance, for example. Um, so, yes, I think we probably will. But then, but then you think, well, it's still Liverpool-Chelsea, isn't it? And it's mm-hmm. still coming ahead of Chelsea-Liverpool at the weekend. Um, and I, I think there will be an element of Klopp not wanting to cede too much ground or any ground to Sarri um, before, of an impo- before an important league fixture as well. So there's a balance, I suppose, but that's, you know, that'll mm. be something that Jürgen has to get right. But I suppose if you're Gareth Southgate, you've got to go to one game out of the two. You go to the, the League Cup time because <laughs> you're probably going to see, as you said, Sarah Sturridge, Solanke, you know, who's meant to be very high in, in Gareth's thoughts, mm-hmm. getting nowhere near it at the moment. No. Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Maybe someone like you know Barclay, even someone like uh, Hudson Odoi at Chelsea, who's basically been put into the first team squad and disappeared without. Trade. Yeah, Danny Drinkwater as well. They forgot a man in central midfield. Not as if England are flooded with central midfield options. Yeah, it's it's like an England trial game, isn't it? <laughs> it takes you back. Uh, the uh, yeah, I feel sorry for all of those guys, but but the standards are so high now, aren't they, at Liverpool and Chelsea that that. They're just not getting a sniff. I feel really sorry for um, Loftus-Cheek at Chelsea because mm. and he did enough last year to suggest that he was good enough to be a Chelsea starter. But unfortunately, the arrival of Kovacic has just absolutely hamstrung him. And and unfortunately, he hasn't done enough, has he, to, to convince Sarri because it's Barkley that's getting the mm. nod almost every time ahead of him as the first replacement. So... Um, yeah, no, it's, big, it's a big game for those guys, and it'll be really competitive in, in that respect. Let's face it, it will be a reserve game. Mm-hmm. Sarri came out after, after the game uh, yesterday and talked about Liverpool being a year ahead of, of his side at the moment. Do you agree with that? I, th- I think a year is, um, is quite interesting because <laughs> Klopp's in his fourth season and Sarri's a matter of months into the role, so... A year is possibly even underplaying it, um, but he obviously has faith in, in his abilities as a manager um, to catch up with Liverpool in a year. If he does that, I'll be very, very impressed. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to say ahead of two games against them. He's obviously you know looking to downplay the fact that everyone's pitting Liverpool Chelsea as a, as a huge game at this point of the season. So yeah, I think it's um it's an interesting point. I don't think it's that much in it. I really don't. It's certainly not four years. It's not going to take four years. I mean, you won't get four years. <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea manager, for goodness sake. It's never going to happen. Um, I, I, I'm really impressed by how quickly Chelsea's players have adjusted to Sarri. And I think the key to that, the glue that knits the whole thing together is Jorginho. Um, 182 because, passes. I mean, it's just, just mind-blowing. Oh, he did, uh, most of those passes were quite ineffectual, it has to be said. So I'm not really interested in in the fact that he broke that record but it does show you how how much of a conduit he is in that team they just channel everything through him it affects the team because obviously Conte's have to be shifted to become a box-to-box player um, which you could argue weakens Chelsea defensively in fact I would say that Chelsea are weaker defensively because of Conte's positional change but Jorginho knits it together because You've got a new guy off the pitch in the, in the manager, and you, but you, he's got a general on the field that knows exactly what his manager wants. And, uh, yeah, he is, he is the guy, the key man for Chelsea. I think that they've, they've done exceptionally well so far um, considering the big changes. Yeah, and also the fact that they really, up front, they're, they're misfiring to a degree. Is that something that you expect to be redressed in the January window? Uh, yeah, I would be surprised if it isn't. I mean, January is always a difficult one in terms of who are you going to get to come in. Um, the advantage that Chelsea maybe do have is that anyone, any striker that they're looking to bring in will see that there's an opportunity there for them because, like you said, Giroud and, and Morata aren't exactly lighting things up. Um, so, yeah, I, w- I would be surprised because they they definitely, we saw against West Ham at the weekend, you know, you, you, Hazard is exceptional. You need someone else in there to get some goals alongside him. Yeah, I don't necessarily think there's that much of a problem. As long as the others are chipping in, mm. like your Williams and your Hazards in particular, you don't need. I rate them both. I know they're not having a good time, Morata and Giroud, but when Morata is on it, He's a really good striker, definitely good enough for Chelsea. And Giroud has, has been, he's been exceptional, hasn't he? I mean, he's a World Cup winner. He was superb for Arsenal as an impact sub. 
I just think I think they'll be fine. I think they'll both get double figures. They won't get they won't get twenty, but they'll both get into double figures. And what they offer the team, particularly Giroud, mm. with his hold up play, with his, his strength in the air, I think I think it matters. I don't think it's a gimme that they'll look for a new striker in January. Maybe next summer, but mm. but yeah, I don't think it's a crisis. I was interested to see uh, Aspiliqueta, who I think you know the epitome of consistency in that side. Talk about Hazard being potentially the best player in the world. What do you think, Sarah? Does Hazard need to do to actually live up to that <laughs> ridiculous billing? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you look at your Messi, Messi and Ronaldo examples, and and look at them next to Hazard. Obviously, there's the goal factor. He needs to, you know, get on the on the score sheet a lot more often. Um, but it's also I'm interested in the attitude side of things. Um, does he have that same uh, almost a selfish desire and a hunger to be the absolute best that someone like a Ronaldo has? Mm. You know, Ronaldo, we know with the stories does, of, does of him being <laughs> at training. The, the you know, 4am ice bath. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does, does Hazard have that kind of same, that same motivation, that same hunger? I know he wants to do the best for the team, but does he really want to be the best in the world, you know, as much as Ronaldo does. I don't think so. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think he has that same obsessiveness, mm. does he, mm. to be to be the the supreme. Because he would probably, you know, knowing professional footballers' yeah. aid, yeah. Uh, he would have been if he had that real hunger and m like mega drive, if mm. you like, he would have been hassling people for a move mm. long before, wouldn't he? Nail on the head. Yeah. If he was as obsessed by Ronaldo and Messi as being number one, top of the tree, he would have demanded a move away from Chelsea. Not this summer, probably the summer before. I think he was the best player at the World Cup, Hazard, as good as Modric was. I think he was the, he was the star performer. He is sensational. And, and when Ronaldo and Messi are gone, the bar for best player in the world will, will be lowered <laughs> quite substantially. And I, I think he's got a genuine chance. I think he is a mesmeric talent. He really is. But Sarah is absolutely right. He hasn't Got, he hasn't got that drive. I think he's just a relaxed individual. He, yeah, he's, he's just happy to happy to do enough. I think there is more to come from him if um, potentially this season under a guy like Sarri, who I would imagine is pretty demanding. Yeah, I find it really interesting, you know, Sarri. If you look at him, we all judge people by you know book by books by covers, don't we? You know, Sarri sort of lumbers in. He's got his fag, packet of fags in one hand. I know it's he. When, he, when the game finished yesterday, his first act was to pick up his cigarettes from the bench. He looks like someone who's just come to clean the boiler. Uh, but he's obviously got something about him because, you know, Hazard in particular has been raving about him as a coach. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm, I, you know, I've heard from a few people inside Chelsea um, about what he was like when he first arrived. And some of the little things that he did in terms of the way he interacted with the team were quite clever. Um, he didn't want to be the one giving them sort of bad news or, you know, delivering things <laughs> that weren't perhaps what they wanted to hear straight away. He had other members of his team do that. So he was very much, you know, wanted to be on side from the beginning. So I think there are definitely lots of clever things about him and the way that he works that we perhaps don't know everything about yet. Fascinating. It's fascinating. And, and uh, you've got to admire managers that have come from nowhere, <clears throat> coaches that have come from the bottom of the tree all the way up. They've earned... They've earned their stripes, and, and clearly he knows exactly what he does. And, and even though his English is, isn't brilliant yet, I really enjoy listening to him. He, he, he cuts to the chase, and I think that I think he's a really, really good manager. And I can I can only see good things really for, for Chelsea under him, providing of course he sticks around, because not many managers tend to tend to stick around. But 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 Chelsea, I, I think I said at the start of the season, I think they'd be comfortably third, and I stand by that. I I, I think they are ahead of the likes of Spurs, United and, and Arsenal this year. Mm. Let's look a bit at, at City, Sarah. Um, you know, we saw what happened in the Champions League last week. Is that a blip or um, just a taste of something really un very surprising to come? I, you'd have to think it's a blip, um, given you know their performances last season and again bouncing back at the weekend. Although at the weekend they did have a a generally slow start to the game against Cardiff, but then once they they clicked into gear, you know they were just on a, on a different level completely. Um, so I think it's a it's a strange blip because they did look um, lethargic. They didn't look like the City team that we've we've become used to seeing, and it's almost more jarring when, when you see that City team playing slowly. It gave the likes of, well, not that Liverpool need any clues of how to beat City. They, they're one of the few teams that, that kind of got their measure. But it did give a, uh, a little tactical clue as to how to get at them. And 
And yeah, I, there is a fragility there at centre half. If you, if you can hassle, if you're bold enough to really get in amongst them inside the city half, pinch the ball, and 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 really profit from those turnovers, you can hurt City. They're not, they have not got the best defence in in the world. They're not even close to having that, are they? Yeah. Um, but the issue is, no one has the ball against them. Yeah. So so yeah, if you yeah, I think the Liverpool model, the Leon model, is there for all to see. It's which teams are good enough to replicate it. I think Chelsea might be. I think that they might might get there and, and eventually Arsenal, not at the moment, but eventually they might if, if Emery's sort of idea about pressing can, can come to fruition. Mm, I might have to buy a new tin helmet for what I'm about to say, but <laughs> what struck me most about that game uh, was the, the sense of complacency on the pitch, but always off it as well. You know, a lot of empty seats... Supporters talking after as well. It's only early stage of the Champions League. A city is the city project actually becoming a little bit too sort of overzealous and overpromoted. That's interesting, especially in the light of the uh, the documentary that we've seen. You know them becoming this team that's surrounded by twinkling lights and you know <laughs> quite Hollywood style. Um, yeah, I mean the. the the fans not being there is strange. Like you said, it's the start of their Champions League campaign. They, you know, it's just something they haven't won yet. You know, surely, and this is a season where they look like they, they should. They are one of the favourites to win it. Um, <clears throat> why would you not want to be there to see the start of that campaign? So it's it's odd. And I think even someone at the club said, "Oh, you know, it's it wasn't exactly a glamour tie against Leon, which is like you said, it's a very strange attitude." It is a strange attitude. They haven't got that many fans, have they? They, don't, they haven't. I mean, it's true. They didn't get huge huge support on Main Road. Uh, I, I think they genuinely struggle without tourists coming to Manchester for the weekend. I think they would struggle to sell it out for, for home games, but which is amazing because mm. they are the best team to watch. They're, they're, I'd pay to go and watch City, no no problem at all. But but yeah, I, I wouldn't get hung up on that. I, I think I think Pep Guardiola was to blame for the Leon defeat because he wasn't there. And he wasn't there because he lost his head against Liverpool in last year's quarter-final. I, I think it had a massive effect on the, mm. on the team. It, it shouldn't have, but it did. Is there a broader issue here, though? Because, you know, at, at Arsenal, a club you know well, uh, they came out last week and talked about, you know, a new executive dining club and a little street market in the concourses and all this sort of, yeah. you know, modern nonsense. Yeah. Is that the world that we are moving into or you've already arrived in? Yeah, I don't, I'm not hung up on it. It's, if people want to buy those tickets to you know be wined and dined and have great food like cheese rooms and things yeah, like that like if, if, if fans want to buy them and the clubs wouldn't build these rooms if fans didn't want to buy them or companies didn't want to buy them so be it it's it's a shame for the atmosphere sometimes because you don't want too many people that there that that are not true supporters that are just there for the for the fancy meal I don't think we should be beating up Arsenal or Spurs or City for for that it's just it's part of the modern game isn't it uh, we just got to got to get on with it, it Sadly, that that is there to stay. I don't think we're going to go back to the days where it's it's cheapest chips to go in, and every single fan inside a Premier League stadium is is you know is born and bred to support that team. Mm. Mm. But you do some really you know revealing stuff with lower league coaches and managers. It is a different world, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's absolutely it's so completely different. You know, going into non-league clubs, obviously, even even League Two clubs, even the Cowleys at you know at Lincoln. And looking at the facilities that have, they have, which are brilliant, and they're just building a new training ground, but it's still, you know, it's miles away. Even though they're only a few divisions away, it's, you know, yeah. different I, planet. I went in there and uh, I spent a day with them, and you know, you're sitting at, at Danny Cowley's desk, and he's got his old Adidas Mundials, which has got mud up to the eyeballs, and you've got a, a, a Waitrose carrier bag full of sort of decaying kit, which is basically... Yeah, but it's Waitrose, it's, it's, you know, it's high <laughs> but it, But that's the real world, that, you know, at that level, it's, it's the real world, isn't it? Yeah, and, it, but, and that is why uh, I love to sit... That is why this current England uh, group is, is so likeable, because a lot of them have experienced that. Yeah. A lot, loads of, have all been on loan at EFL clubs, where it's the real world, where you aren't just uh, mollycoddled the whole time. I think it should almost be compulsory... For, for our best young talents to experience the EFL at some point because because it can do you so much good. Mm, mm. Well, you know the the sort of you know, best example of that, Harry Kane. Mm. You know, all the talk about him being tired, he rejects it. But this week you've got 
Watford in the League Cup, then you've got Huddersfield. With respect to both of those teams, is this the perfect week to say, go and sit on the beach for about four days, will you? Yeah, well, I, th I think so. Um, whether Harry would agree with that and um, would go along with that is a different matter. I mean, Pochettino and his staff are, um, you know, they take great notice of the numbers. They're monitoring everything. So you would think that if they've seen Harry's numbers dropping off, then they they would take this opportunity to give him a rest and, and insist that he has a rest, which, as a manager, Pochettino is, is well within his rights to do. Um, but, yeah, Harry is one of those players that he, he always wants to play. Um, and and he did look, in the second half of their game at the weekend, he looked like he was, you know, uh, coming back into a bit more form maybe, but but this would be a yeah good opportunity to rest him for sure. Yeah. Well, Spurs need a trophy. You've got to remember that. And it's pretty hard to win the Champions League. Obviously, they might drop into Europa League where they have a better chance. Realistically, the League Cup and the FA Cup are the, the best chance. So I wouldn't think they'd go crazy with the rotation. But yeah, I'd, I'd leave Harry out. You've got to give Lorente a game some, at some oh, yeah. point, haven't you? <laughs> Goodness me. I mean, he's, he's barely had a, had a sniff. You've got Son, who could probably do with some games. Uh, Mora as well is, is on form. They can get away with it. Um, but look, yeah, on, I don't know if you're going to ask me about where the game's being played, Mike. But um, I certainly was. Yeah, well... I think Spurs would... Look, it's nothing to do with my Arsenal connections, but I think they're out of order here. I think they should have offered to to switch it. I really do. I don't, I've got no issue with them playing at Wembley till January, till the end of the season, if they have to. No issue with that at all. Ground's not ready. But to bring in a third stadium, in, the, in especially in Milton Keynes, which is nowhere near North London... I think, I think it's ridiculous and they should have offered to, to forfeit home advantage there and I, I'm disappointed that the authorities didn't, didn't force them to do it. I think it's a bit of a joke. So Sarah, there's a lot of talk, understandably enough, about the delays to Tottenham's new stadium. Doesn't seem to be much transparency from the club itself. Do they actually owe their fans an explanation and an apology? Um... I think it, it, potentially, yes, yes, they do owe them an explanation and, and an apology because, you know, we saw in the build-up to the season all the advertising and, you know, pushing the supporters to, to buy into the new stadium, etc. And they, they must have known or had an inkling that things weren't exactly on track. And it's not unusual for a big building project like that to be running behind schedule. So mm -hmm. I think if they'd have come out earlier and, and said it, there would have been a bit more understanding from the fans so so maybe yes they should probably apologize and and be a bit more open about you know where things stand do you expect them to play at Wembley for the rest of the season if so will that have any material effect on them yes I do expect them to to be playing at Wembley for the rest of the season um whether it has any effect well uh, I think once once they know you know where they're playing for sure I think that will actually help the team you know if they just come out and said this is our home now for the rest of the season rather than caught in two miles. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it'd almost be better. I think the players would almost rather just say, look forward to next season at the new stadium and just get their heads around being at Wembley. Yeah. Does it as a player? You know, we talk about home advantage. Yeah. As a player, how much is that true? Weirdly, it is true. It's just familiarity, really, with your surroundings. It's, it's like, no one can explain it. It's just you. Everything feels more natural when you're in your own environment. When you go away from home, it's all alien. The, obviously, the noise is against you. Uh, it, it, it's still the same pitch. It's still the same sport, but it does make a difference. But I don't think it's a detriment to Spurs this season at all. Actually, I think it would damage. I think Spurs have a better chance of finishing in the top four if they stay at Wembley all season than if they switch stadium mid-season. I think that could be really damaging because it's difficult to adjust and, and it, it can take time and you've got to remember that other teams, opponents, always lift themselves um, when they go to somewhere brand new. Yeah. Modern world, we've got, yeah, we were, uh, we're about a week away from you know, the headlines that we read about Tottenham being traumatised and Pochettino supposedly under pressure and fans yelling into the void about what a catastrophe it all was. Is it time sometimes just to take a step back and say, look, let's get some perspective here? <laughs> I, I, I would say yes. Obviously, newspapers need, need headlines to yeah. sell and uh, Pochettino perhaps didn't help himself with some of his reactions um, after some of Spurs' Spurs defeats. Um, 
So, but yeah, big picture, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, that everyone was raving about Spurs and raving about Pochettino's management style. And yes, he has lots of challenges this season. You know, we've talked about the stadium, etc. Mm. Um, not buying any players. Um, but, you know, to, to suddenly lurch from Tottenham fighting for the title and fighting for trophies to saying, you know, they're, they're in crisis is, is a big leap. Well, he did actually, he was quoted, wasn't it? Saying that we're not, we're not, we're underdogs in every competition we're in. I All mean, managers say that though, don't they? Yeah, well, I, I, that's a bit defeatist. It, it was a, do you know what? I think Pochettino's mood, and it was, it is a mood, mm. reminded me a little bit of Antonio Conte last year, which is, was sour from beginning to end, the bitter end. It did remind me of that. I don't think it's a serious an issue at Spurs with Poch. But the bottom line is, I, th- I feel he, I feel that he feels let down that he wasn't given new players. Spurs weren't anywhere near good enough to win the title last year. How, how are they going to be good enough this year with no reinforcements? So, yeah, I, I think Daniel Levy let down his manager in the in the summer transfer window, and and everyone's just getting getting to terms with that. Really, mm. I have to admit, when when the summer transfer window closed and they hadn't bought anyone, I was kind of. I kind of thought, well, you know, they've got they've got Stability, a great team. Yeah, yeah that mm. this this team has played well together. It's continuity. You know, see how they go and, and maybe mm. reinforce in January. But now, mm. looking at the squad, I think yes, a few a few people coming in would have helped. Liverpool is the prime example. Mm. Liverpool have brought in players um, to beef up the bench, like Spurs should have done. And the competition for place at Anfield is absolutely fierce at the moment. Mm. So if you play brilliantly, you're not guaranteed to play. It's not the same at Spurs. I think there are too many players very comfortable at the moment and uh, it's, it's causing a lethargy. I mean, mm. look at the impact on Milner at Liverpool of, of Naby yes, Keita coming exactly. in. Exactly. You know, Milner started the season brilliantly. <laughs> yeah. That just shows, you know, what, what impact that competition can have. Big time. Yeah, yeah. while I'm still going back to Liverpool, uh, you were scouted by Steve Rowley, weren't you, at Arsenal? Yeah, I was, yeah. Steve Rowley uh, was thrown under a passing bus by um, John Collins, <laughs> yeah. uh, basically saying that uh, he advised Arsenal that uh, Virgil van Dijk was too nonchalant, in inverted commas, mm, yeah. uh, for them. Well, he's a good judge of a player, first of all, <laughs> let me just say that. And he's a good judge of a centre-half, because he also discovered uh, Tony Adams. That was his, his, his big scout, uh, Steve, when, when he was a young scout. Um, it's taste, I guess, isn't it? I mean... Tony Adams is a case in point. It's not the same style of centre-half. Um, and, and Virgil van Dijk is a very modern centre-half. He is quite, he's quite nonchalant, he's quite laid-back. But he's got all the tools, hasn't he, to, to be a fantastic player. I, I think it, on, the, on that particular story, you can let him off and Arsenal and any, any other club that passed on Virgil van Dijk because a step up from Celtic to the Premier League, to the top end of the Premier League, he's fast. There, there is a reason why, why not many players make that, that, that jump in one go. Um, but there'll be a lot of scouts, a lot of managers absolutely kicking themselves. Personally, I, I, was, I was staggered that, that more of the big six clubs weren't, weren't battering down Southampton's door to sign Van Dijk. It was like an open goal, wasn't it, for, for Liverpool in the end? And, and they've been transformed since he came on board. Mm. But it's all about perception. And the perception you know, might be that Tottenham is a, is a bit of a selling club. Um, we've had some... Um, linked to Bayern Munich in recent days. Surely Tottenham can't weaken that strength, that squad any further just to boost the bank balance, can they? You wouldn't have thought so. And if they do do that, then I, I think Pochettino might be pushed over the edge. They'll all be over the barricades, yeah. won't they? Yeah, and if Pochettino goes, I think the, that team are in big trouble. It's, it's funny how the, the team seem to be, there's a fine line between the, the continuity and if they don't win anything and Poch goes and then the team breaks up, you know, there's a very fine line between those two things. Mm. Spurs becoming this, you know, joining the top four as a, as a great club oh. or, or falling off the cliff. Poch, Poch is under pressure for his own career, isn't he? Because at the moment, he's just about clinging on by his fingernails to being in part of the elite club, isn't he? Mm. Everyone talks about him being one, one of the, the super coaches, which I think, even though I rate him really highly, I think that's still a little bit of a stretch because of his tro- you know, lack of trophies. But he's clinging on. One more season of, of nothingness at Spurs where they do well but not well enough. It could, it could see his stock tumble and, and his prospects of getting a move to your Barcelona, not go there, but, but to Real Madrid or wherever, would, would, well, wouldn't be realistic. Yeah. I, don't, I don't quite agree with that. I think even if he doesn't win anything this season, I think given the challenges he's facing at the club, I think his stock will still be up there. I could, you know, 
whatever happens at Manchester United, mm. even potentially see them coming But, but do, you re do you realistically think that they would choose Pochettino over Zidane? Uh, potentially. I mean, given his record with bringing young players mm. through, which is something that Manchester United used to be built it's upon. Depend it depends whether that decision is made on footballing reasons mm -hmm. or social media penetration reasons, <laughs> isn't it? which is what you know, you're yeah. all they're about. Both, they're both excellent managers. Look, I'm not, I'm not having a pop at Pochettino, but I'm just saying his stock is really high for a reason. But one more year of coming up short has to, has to damage his rep a little bit. Mm. I thought you know, the best moment probably of the season so far for me was on, at Old Trafford on Saturday when there was that standing ovation given to Sir Alex Ferguson. You speak to coaches and managers all the time. Can you give us an insight into the respect that he is held by his peers? Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. Um, so many of them have had interactions with him on some level, whatever level the manager is at. Um, they have either met with him, they've had advice from him, they've read his book, you know, but they all talk yeah. about him. He's, he's just held up as, you know, the, the kind of the, the person to aspire to, to, to learn from. And he still gives his time up to young managers, even not young managers, but less experienced managers, um, to offer advice. Um, you know, a couple of the guys we've interviewed at their houses and, and you see his book <laughs> in, their, in their bookcase and you think, well, these guys do actually, you know, they really revere him. He's the greatest, isn't he? He's the best, best we've seen. He's absolutely brilliant. And it was a great, it was a really great moment, one of the most sort of special moments of the season so far. Yeah. Which brings us on to the current incumbent, mm. Jose Mourinho. Mm. Um, never happy, it seems. Certainly not happy on, on Saturday after that 1-1 draw with Wolves. Mm. Not enough effort. <laughs> Discuss. Not enough effort, yeah. It, it, they were... They were not outclassed by Wolves, but Wolves gave them a real good game, didn't they? And it, it was. I think Wolves will give a lot of big teams a, a tough test this season. I, don't, I wouldn't take too much stock by that, by that performance, by that result, because that's a difficult fixture. And it's not, it wasn't a huge surprise to me that, that Wolves looked the equal of Manchester United. There, there are issues there, we know, at United at the moment. I think the first thing... The first way to cure whatever is the problem at United at the moment might just be to to pick the team based on form. If you pick the team based on form, Alexis Sanchez is on the bench. I think I think he'll get more respect from the players if 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 he does that. I think there's a slight issue at the moment whereby Alexis plays no matter what. I know he hasn't played every single game, but there was no justification to pick him ahead of others against Wolves. He picked him. He was poor. I think something's got to change. Mm, 831 minutes without a goal and already comparisons being made with Fernando Torres, which is never, ever a good look, is it? No, no. Uh, a lot of people, you know, you look at his body language and, and think it's similar to how it was in his last season at Arsenal. I think people forget that in his last season at Arsenal, he wasn't, he wasn't as good as he had been in, in previous years. He got, a, he got some very important goals, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't, you know, having the impact on games that he perhaps was earlier in his career. Um, which is interesting given, you know, he's had this summer off. Okay. Um, I think people expect, they expected a lot more from him and, and the disparity between what he's uh, offering is, mm. is quite mm. hard. So maybe he's in a sulk because he didn't get to the World Cup. Yeah, sometimes you just hit a wall. Fernando Torres did, didn't he? I mean, it's mm. quite spectacular. You know, he went off a cliff, didn't he? Um, but I'm not saying that he's finished. But yeah, something's not right. I, I, I don't know what it, I don't know if it's the style of football that, jo that Jose Mourinho preaches that's too slow for him he, he's a really good player he's a very dangerous player always and he'll score goals this year but but unless you pick the first 11 on form you're not going to have the full respect to your dressing room if you don't have the full respect to your dressing room you don't really have a collective team and I think that is a, that is a big big issue for, for Mourinho at the moment mm, there's certainly questions about the culture I found it really interesting that Didier Deschamps was in London on Sunday in a FIFA function talking about his side that won the World Cup. And he made a special point of basically saying that he looked for uh, a group, and this is the direct quote, who can live together and be united. So in other words, the human chemistry has got to be right. You look at United and you see Pogba, and it's all a, a war by proxy at the moment of words, and he's talking about attack, 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 knowing that will play well on the terraces. That is the problem with Man United, isn't it? It's not what's going on on the pitch per se, it's the whole picture. 
Mm, the group, yeah. And that's, I guess that's where recruitment comes into it. Um, you know, picking the players that not only are going to give you what you need on the pitch, but who are going to fit into your dressing room and the culture that you want to create. Um, I don't know, has, has Mourinho managed to create the culture that he would like in that United dressing room yet? Um, Doesn't feel like it, does it? No. no. The inconsistency suggests... The Alexis sign-in kind of mucked things up a bit because... The there, wasn't that, an obvious, there wasn't an obvious role for there him. There wasn't an obvious role for him. He was on colossal money that was always going to get the back up, backs up of certain high-profile players. And, and you, just, you just wonder, is there room for Pogba and, and Sanchez in the, in the same team? Potentially, but they don't seem to be all in it together at the moment. It's, it's not a crisis at Man United, not a crisis at all. But when you compare their team ethic with others, i.e. Liverpool... They're quite a way short, aren't they? Mm. I, I wouldn't want us to go uh, on without talking about Wolves because that was a significant performance. They look to me to be one of the best teams to come up in many years. What's the limit, the natural limit of their ambition, do you think? This season? Uh, for, well, you know, you look at what Burnley did last season and you think this Wolves team Definitely. looks a better, a better team than that Burnley side. So... Europe's not out of the question, I wouldn't think. You know, they've, they've like you said, they've looked brilliant. Um, haven't looked out of their depth. They've, they've been brave um, against both Manchester sides, mm-hmm. um, which is something that you don't often see. I guess, they, obviously, they've had a lot of investment, but um, Nuno's managed to gel gel his new players with, with the ones he brought up. Yeah, exactly. Chemistry and fluency and flow and, and all those things. It comes from time. They've been together. They know, the man, know what the manager wants. I think it was the contrast was therefore to see Old Trafford. United, still a team of individuals to some degree, and Wolves, a, a proper team, all on the same page. Uh, very impressed. I, I think, I said before the start of the season, 7th or 8th, and I, I'm definitely sticking with that. What's your progress report on Arsenal? Um, you know, decent win over Everton. Probably stressed the importance of that front too, didn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Lacazette and Aubameyang are going to be crucial, aren't they, to Arsenal this season? Although, it's a really wide net of goal scorers, I have to say, at Emirates Stadium this year. It, work in progress, so far so good. I, I like a lot of, about what Emery's bringing in. I like the energy, they're working much harder. Uh, they're pre- trying to press from the front. You see exactly where, where he wants the team to go. Um, I don't think he's nailed his best 11 yet. I don't think uh, he's even now his best uh, formation. There's, there's a little bit of imbalance. You've got Ramsey in the 10 role, where I don't think he's at his most effective. You've got Ozil on the right, and he wants to be in the number 10. You've got Bamiyang on the left. He wants to be up top. It's not, it's not quite right at the moment, but, but Arsenal are getting away with it because they've got, they've got talented individuals. Uh, but, I, yeah, I, I see lots of positives. The one big fat negative, clearly, is that there's been no visible sign of improvement at the back. Um, real struggle, real struggle, mm. and, and they're conceding too many shots. I think Petr Cech has been the third busiest keeper in the Premier League, which is well, it tells its own story. Mm. Cech has been under a lot of you know, criticism and he is learning to play from you know, out from the back. That performance, I thought, had great character against Everton. You know, the one thing is, you can see his stature as a man and a you know, human being actually coming over into his work on the football pitch. Yeah, and it was interesting in his interview after the game, he was captain, wasn't he, at the weekend? Mm-hmm. And he, he actually brought that up in his post-match interview. He said, you know, I'm captain, I've got to... I've got to be the leader and, and I'm the senior member of the squad as well. So he's obviously, he's using that responsibility in a, in a good way to almost help him fulfil his role. Um, and I thought, yeah, he had a great game. I mean, he was called upon, <laughs> called upon a, a, hell of, a hell of a lot. Um, but it was, yeah, he, he's definitely looked much more comfortable the last couple yeah, of years. One of the biggest red herrings of the season so far has been... Check should be dropped. Mm. It was it was ludicrous that people were saying this on the basis of one or two bad passes. And yes, he did make bad passes. He did look a bit uncomfortable. But if you are grading him alongside every other goalkeeper in the Premier League in goalkeeping uh, or in the in the art of stopping shots, Check has been in the top three keepers in the Premier League this season. He's been his form is so much better than it was before Burton Leno came in. He's, he's had the he's had a prod and he's responded to it like like every top player should. Mm, but as I said, the, the defence 
is worrying and you can see someone like Deeney, they're playing Watford at the weekend, really causing problems. Mustafi, to me, looks like an accident waiting to happen every game. Yeah, I think Troy Deeney will be licking his lips at the thought of playing Arsenal again, absolutely. And you know exactly what he's going to do. You know, he makes no secret about it. He, he wants to pressure, pressure players, you know, go at them in, in the first few minutes and see what effect it has. And you just wonder if, after the last couple of seasons, his success, you know, that will have got in, in the likes of Mustafi's head a bit. Um, I thought Holding did well when he came on he did, at, the, yeah. at the weekend, so potentially could be a, yeah. a place for him. Well, they're bold, aren't they, what, for a front two this year, which is really good to mm. see. I, I love seeing managers play with a strike force. Mm. It's like the old days. <laughs> uh, but it's not to the detriment of them at the back. So, so yeah, as a front two, the Greys movement, I think, will be a real problem as well um, for us. Opposition teams have been running in behind the back four for fun, way, way too easily. Um, yeah, I think Watford on the on the counter when they go direct from back to front down the sides will will cause Arsenal problems in this game. Yeah, it, and they could in, in effect nullify the impact that Lucas Torreira is having, which is is a really good shield mm. in front of the back four. But I think what for what Watford will do, they'll look to turn Arsenal at every opportunity, and and yeah, I think it could be a high scoring game. Mm. You know. In that build-up to the, to the Everton game, um, obviously there was a lot of focus on uh, Theo Walcott. Mm. And it did surprise me when he said, um, yeah, I fell out of love with football at Arsenal. Were you surprised by that? No. because Well, yes and no. But, but I say no because when you're not playing... You hate it. It's horrible. <laughs> you're OK, you get paid a lot to be a professional football, but when you're not picked on a Saturday or a Wednesday or whatever and you're con continually overlooked, it, it just plays with your head. And you, I've been through it, I've experienced it myself, and it knocks your self-esteem. And, yeah, it, honestly, the, the, the psychological damage that, that, that footballers can go through, and it's easy to say, oh, you get paid a lot, you should be above that. But it does. If you're a sensitive person, it, your confidence can be affected greatly. And, and I think Theo is, is of that ilk. Um, and I, I, I'm not surprised he fell out of love with, with football. He just wanted to play. I, I, I partly think some of that was possibly his fault. I think mm. he probably should have left mm. a couple of seasons earlier than he did. Mm. Um, he was very comfortable there, which isn't yeah. always a good thing. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Mm. But I think for a player of his age and the length of time that he'd been at Arsenal, he, he had to leave for his own career, which he did eventually, but he, he should have done it. I do earlier. agree. I do agree, yeah. I, I think they actually have left a couple of years before. But look, he's enjoying himself. He's a, he's a main man for, for Everton now. He's a good player. I think I think they all got as overachieved. I've said this before. I think he's for, for his talent, he's actually overachieved in his career. A lot of people will go the other way and say he didn't fulfil his potential. I think he did. I just, just don't think he was ever as good as some people made him out to be. He's just really good at running in behind and finishing off chances. And for him to stay at Arsenal on the back of that for so long, I thought was a, was a good achievement. Mm. Everton at the weekend are at home to Fulham. Um, Mitrovic scored again against Watford uh, at the weekend. Uh, is he shaping up to be Rafa Benitez's biggest mistake at Newcastle? It certainly looks that way, and I think anyone who's got Mitrovic in the fantasy team yep, uh, I have, yeah. will be very happy to see his form continue because um, he's clearly going to get a lot of goals this season for that, for that Fulham side. Um, yeah, it's hard to understand why Benitez didn't fancy him. Um, I know he had, you know, people talked about his character uh, initially, but I think he's really matured um, and he looks to be enjoying that responsibility that he's got at Fulham. Um, Jukanovic obviously trusts him implicitly and he knows what he delivers. You know, he's, he's strong, um, he's powerful. He's, he's yeah, he's a, he's a great front man. That's brilliant. Yeah, I think, I think his success at Fulham is a prime example of how important a player's relationship is with the manager. Because Jukanovic mm. and Mitrovic, they know each other. It, it, they know which buttons to press. It works. Rafa, who we know is aloof, just didn't get him, I guess. I don't know. It is guesswork. You have to get him on the coach's voice to speak to Because Rafa's clearly a, a master tactician. How can he prefer Yossely? Mm. Even Rondon? It, it, it beggars well, he, belief. He started with A on so I was at the game on Saturday and it was dreadful. You know, all three of them couldn't... couldn't uh, kick their way out of a paper bag at the moment. You know, they're all over the place. Yeah. And I suppose that then heightens the, the, the issue. You know, there was a lot of uh, attention on Saturday that Mike Ashley turned up at his first Newcastle game for 16 months. Mm. Uh, fans were in open revolt. 
Rafa, to me, is there under sufferance. Where does it all play out for Newcastle? Yeah, it's difficult to see Rafa being there beyond this season um, at the moment. Um, his quotes after the game were quite interesting in that he was pleased to see Mike Ashley there. You know, he wants his support. He wants him to show... He wants him to see what he's got on the pitch, especially. He made sure to say that, um, which is quite interesting. Um, but, yeah, it's very hard to see Rafa continuing there after this season. I think his stock is still is still very high as a manager. Everyone respects how difficult his job is there. Um, so, yeah, well, hopefully he can keep them up. But either way, I don't really see him being there. OK, well, a few uh, questions from the, the viewers and the listeners. Uh, ben Archer, how long can Chelsea get away with Luis at centre-back? Uh, I don't think he's been that bad, <laughs> genuinely. <laughs> like, I would, I, I prefer him in a back three. I think he's still got the potential to be an outstanding defensive midfielder. But, but I don't think his form's that bad. And uh, he's in the team on merit. Sarri obviously yeah. wants him there to, to be able to, to take the ball out into midfield. He, that's the style of play that he likes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't see a massive issue. One day, in the not-too-distant future, Ethan Ampadu will come in because I think he would be so good that he can't be ignored any longer. But for the moment, if I was Chelsea manager, I'd pick Luis. Right. <laughs> You're not, though. Uh, right, uh, Derek Dryden, uh, Sarah. Um, an Arsenal, another Arsenal or an Arsenal fan. Uh, with the new players we've got, how long do you think it will be before we engage with Emery's vision and defend cohesively as a team? Is it a time issue or a player quality issue? I think in terms of defending cohesively as a team, I, I, I think it's, it's both. Um, I think we do need a bit of reinforcement, defensive, you know, especially in the centre of defence. Um, in terms of buying into his vision, I, I think that's a time thing. Um, hopefully, the players, and, and I think you've seen that they do want to buy into his vision. It's just going to take. It takes. You know, Wenger was there for twenty odd years. It's going to take time for things to to change on the pitch. Yeah, the habits need to change. In terms of the defence, it's a player issue, in my opinion. I, I, I think we've seen enough already. We haven't seen a big improvement from certain individuals. Upgrades are needed in that mm. department. Another Arsenal question. Ian Westwell, which youngsters at Arsenal could be playing regularly in the first team in the next few years? You see, this, this it changes because it's very difficult to tell because it's so hard to break into a team like Arsenal. Emil Smith-Rowe is a standout youngster at the moment. He's just turned 18. And he's a, he's a wonderfully gifted player. He's, he reminds me of Kevin De Bruyne stylistically in terms of he can play wide or in a, as an attacking midfielder. He's got a great turn of pace, really quick feet, wonderfully balanced player. He's got it all. The one issue against him is that it's, it's the competition for places. The guys in his spot are excellent players. Ozil, Mkhitaryan, Aaron Ramsey, Alex Iwobi to a certain degree. It's tough, uh, but... He's the, he's, the, he's the most gifted of the current generation. What about um, Maitland-Niles, who's... I know he's been out with a broken leg, but he, before that he was... He, he was. was cusp it, of, he's uh, got an opportunity at left-back. Yeah. A central midfield, he hasn't grasped it, unfortunately. The opportunities, I mean. It's just a bit too laid-back for me, Maitland-Niles. I think if he can really sharpen up um, his mind, and I think Emery would do that... Mm then he's got potential, because he's, he's got the tools, yeah. he's got the athleticism, yeah. he's got the ability. But yeah, we will see. The, the other one is probably Eddie Nketiah, who's a natural-born finisher. Mm. Again, uh, will he get the opportunities? Yeah. Maybe if Lacazette I know a lot of, I know a lot of scouts at championship clubs have been trying to get him on loan. Yeah. Well, Arsenal aren't blessed with, unfortunately, a lot of backup strikers. You've got Danny Welbeck, of course. Um, but Eddie Nketiah might be needed this season. So I don't see him going out before January. Right. Right, final question, um, and I better give you a bit of background about this one. Um, it's from uh, Keelan McCaffrey. Sorry, McCafferty, beg your pardon. Um, he's a Manchester United fan, came on last week and basically said we have an agenda against Manchester United, which is absolutely true. John Cross does, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he says, look, it's a tad early, but what are everyone's top four predictions in order and who are the relegated three? So it's make your mind up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I said at the start of the season it'd be City, Liverpool, Chelsea. Uh, 
I could flip Liverpool and City, but I'm not going to yet. But yeah, I'll, I'll stick with what I stick with what I said. I think City will, it'll be a really close race this time. City to win, Liverpool second, Chelsea third. Then I think there's a bit of a gap. I really, I genuinely, and I know it sounds like I'm sitting on the fence, genuinely think there's going to be two or three points between Arsenal, Spurs and um, United. Uh, but I, I'm not going to back, back against uh, against my boys. I think they will get better as the season goes along, Arsenal. And uh, I think they might pinch pinch fourth, but maybe that's wishful thinking. And bottom three? Well, I said Cardiff and Huddersfield in the pre-season show, and I'm 100% sticking with that. I also said Watford, um, which is leaving me with egg on my face. Uh, Watford would be all right. <sighs> you know what? It's Newcastle. And, and I, I, I just... I don't see enough firepower, and I think the injury to Lejeune at the back was really critical. He had a good thing going with Lascelles, and I don't think that that defence is great without Lejeune in there. So I'm going to say Newcastle. Sarah? Uh, well, I, I, I'm i going to go with Liverpool, um, not just to be different, but I genuinely think the feeling around the team, the depth they've got, the way that they're all buying into Jürgen, I, I just think that could be enough to carry them over. Also, the little holes we've seen in City and, and focus on the Champions League, etc. So, yeah, I'm going to go Liverpool City, Chelsea, and I'm, I'm actually going to go United. <laughs> I think you'd like that one, Keelan. <laughs> uh, anyway, my top four, Liverpool, City, Chelsea and Spurs. Bottom three, Southampton, Huddersfield and Cardiff. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 